going to do, He is Lord, then we're going to do, let's just praise the Lord. Let's do it all together. He is Lord, He is Lord, He has risen from the grave, and He is Lord, every everyone take a few moments and get out of your seats and shake hands and fellowship find somebody you don't know their name introduce yourself to them let's fellowship
As you move back to your seats, page 522, My Savior's Love, get you a songbook, page 522, My Savior's Love. to come if they would and we'll take up the regular Sunday morning offering and as they do I would like to say to any visitor that is here today if you're a first-time visitor today we want you to know that you are a very special and very honored guest and we are so thankful that you have chosen to be with us here today there's a lot of churches in Chattanooga you could have went to this morning but you chose us and we do we appreciate that we're glad that you're here this morning And if this is your first time that that you've been to Temple Baptist Church if you would take just a moment and fill out a visitor card we would appreciate that very, very much. There is one. If you received a bulletin down in the bottom right-hand corner of the bulletin, there is a little tear-off thing there. You can fill that out. If you didn't get a bulletin, there should be a visitor card uh, there in the pew in front of you. So if you just take a moment and fill that out, we would really appreciate it. like to have a record of your visit, and we'd like to send you some information uh, this week about the church. So if you take a moment to do that, we would appreciate it very, very much. Well, we want to take up the offering. I hope you'll be faithful in your giving, tithes, and offerings to the Lord, and I know the Lord will bless you for doing so. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father... 
We do thank you again for this day. We thank you for the privilege now to worship you with our giving. And Lord, we pray that you would be pleased with our giving today. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be faithful uh, with what you've given to us and help us to be faithful to you in all things. And I pray you'll just bless this offering. I pray you'll use it for the furtherment of your kingdom. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
play and their hearts will be gay as they stroll through that city of gold no more crying up there no more sorrows to bear and nobody will be
dying No more trouble or strife We will live by the ages By the golden tree of life Oh, when some glad tomorrow And with the saints I'll stand Gonna put on the crown and walk around I'll love God's promised land
there will be no more dying, no more trouble of this world. I'm going to get the chance to see my Jesus face to face. I'm just so glad to be standing here to be with the saints right here. But one day I'm going to see him face to face and walk all over that heavenly place. Oh.
with nowhere to hide. There was a soulless searching for me. Grace ever flowing that sent my soul Wasn't that good? That was a blessing. Praise the Lord. And I praise the Lord for all the singing this morning. What a blessing. What a blessing it's been. Young lady, if you would take care of that baby, we'd appreciate it. If you're visiting, that's my son. I've already had to ground him. Six weeks, no television, no telephone. I guess I'm going to have to make it 12 weeks. Take your Bibles, if you would, and find the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. I want to look at two verses of Scripture. And I have looked at these verses of Scripture before here. I think of almost three years ago, I, I looked at these verses, and uh, I wanted to take just a moment this evening, or this morning, and look at them. I want to look at them from a little different light, and a little different angle than what I did uh, several years ago. And of course, you probably don't remember anything what I said three years ago, so I didn't even really need to say that. 
But uh, Romans chapter number 12, the first two verses, I want to bring a message this morning that I would entitle, A Living Sacrifice. A Living Sacrifice. Stand, if you would, to your feet out of respect for the public reading of the Word of God. And let's read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse number 2. Many of you could probably quote these verses, but I want to read them to you and then we'll bring the message. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God you may be seated and let's go to the Lord in prayer and then the message a living sacrifice father again today we praise you for your grace for your marvelous grace that saved us from our sins and redeemed us thank you so much And Lord, I pray that now over the next few moments, Lord, I pray that you would just use this time as we look into your word. Lord, I pray it would be a profitable time for all. Lord, may our hearts be open and receptive and prepared to receive the word that you have for us. And Lord, for myself, I just ask that you would just help me to hide behind the cross. And Lord, I pray that you would speak every word that needs to be said. And and you would do the work that needs to be done this morning. And even now in advance, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I come across a headline the other day, and I couldn't help. When I saw the headline, I had to read the article. The headline read read this way. It said, Plane with a mind of its own crashes. Plane with a mind of its own crashes. Well, the story that followed uh, was not only very, very funny, I felt, but it was also, uh, it illustrated a very good truth, and I wanted to share it with you. The story goes that a man by the name of Paul Serks, he owned a vintage single-engine airplane. And as he was flying this airplane, he had to land at a particular airfield in Ohio and the reason he had to land because the engine was about to stall and when he landed the engine did stall so he tried to figure out anything he could do so he got out and he began to try to start the plane by hand by by turning the propeller and he did that he turned the propeller and the plane engine started well that's when the fun began because once that plane engine started he was helpless all he could do was watch his plane as it taxied down the runway it had been it had been trimmed for takeoff so its nose was up in the air It took off, and it flew to nearly 2,000 feet all by itself. And it was flying around for about five minutes overhead. Everybody was watching this plane with no pilot flying overhead for about five minutes. It got to about 2,000 feet for about five minutes. Then it took off northwest. Nose still up to the air. It finally reached to a height of nearly 12,000 feet. And the, the state patrol and other aircraft, they were monitoring watching this plane Well, the end of the story is about 90 miles later, after it had reached 12,000 feet, the plane finally crashed. But the obvious truth to the story is this, that without a a pilot, a plane will inevitably crash. Without a pilot, a plane will inevitably crash. But there's an even greater truth, and this is why I told you the story. There's an even greater truth here. Our lives, in many ways, are just like that plane. If the pilot is not in the plane of your life, And if you are not flying your life according to the pilot's will, your life, just like that plane, will crash. The Apostle Paul wrote in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 17, he says, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you know the wisest thing that you will ever do with your life is to find the will of God for your life and to do the will of God for your life. That is the wisest thing that you will ever do with your life. I guess probably... Probably the greatest, the most asked question to any pastor, any Christian counselor, the greatest question, the most asked question to any pastor is this. Pastor, 
How can I know God's will for my life? Now, unfortunately, many people feel and they, they act as if, and in their mind they think that the will of God, finding the will of God is kind of like playing hide-and-seek with God. It's kind of like maybe in their mind it's kind of like hunting for Easter eggs, small Easter eggs in a wheat field. But let me give you a comforting thought this morning, something that perhaps maybe you haven't thought of. A comforting thought, you know, you don't have to find God's will. God's will will find you. God's will will find you. Do you know that God is more anxious for you to know His will than you are anxious about finding that will? You see, if God, wants, if God has a will for our life and He wants us to know that will, it is going to be God's responsibility to reveal that will to us. But, and this is what we're going to talk about, it's our responsibility to obey that will. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we have God's method on how to know the will of God. God's method on how to know the will of God. And we're going to learn in these two verses that before we can know the will of God that we don't know, we must be doing the will of God that we do know. Now, that's just important enough for me to say again. Before you will ever know the will of God that you don't know for your life, you must first be doing the will of God that you do know. Now, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul lays before us three steps that must be taken in order for us to get ourselves in a position where God can reveal His will to us. Three steps, and I want to share them with you briefly and quickly out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Number one, the first step in order for us, in order for us to get into the position where God can reveal His will to us is this. A personal presentation must be given. A personal presentation must be given. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living Sacrifice. Now, that living sacrifice is very, means an awful lot to me, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that here in just a little bit. Before we get to that, I want to share with you something else. First of all, I want you to notice the motive for our sacrifice. We're going to be talking about this living sacrifice. We're going to be talking about a presentation. But let's, first of all, I want you to think about the motive for our sacrifice, for our presentation. You see, Paul said, I beseech you. In other words, I beg you, brethren, by the mer therefore by the mercies of God. Now, there's a principle in Bible study that any time when you're reading the Word of God and you come across the word, therefore, you need to find out what it is there for. In other words, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What Paul is doing, he is building upon what he has said in the previous 11 chapters. And, and to sum it up, he says, I beseech you, therefore, based on everything that I said, in a nutshell, the mercies of God that you present your bodies. Well, what had Paul been talking about? If you study Romans, if you read the first three chapters of Romans, Paul talks first, about, first of all about the mercy of salvation. He talks about the mercy of salvation. God, by His mercy, He saved us. He made it possible that we could be saved. He made it possible that through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the cross, we could be saved. And Paul says, therefore, based on what I said, based upon God's mercies, but based upon the mercy of salvation... This is what you should do. But not only does he talk about the mercy of salvation, in, verse, in chapters 4 and 5 he talks about the mercy of justification. Justification is that act of God where he declares us righteous. It's kind of like there's a stack of papers and all of our sins are listed on those papers and God takes a stamp and he declares us righteous. We're not righteous, but he declares us righteous. Another way you could look at it is justification. The easy way that I try to remember it, he makes it just as if I had never sinned. I have sinned. But God, through His mercy, worked it out and made it to where just as if I had never sinned. The mercy of justification. 
Well, in chapter 6 and 7, he talked about the, mer the, the mercy of salvation, the mercy of justification. In verse chapter 6 and 7, he talks about the mercy of sanctification. See, not only did God save you, and not only did God take your sins and wipe them out, cast them as far as the east is from the west, he did something else. He took you and he sanctified you. He set you apart. He pulled you from among the rest and he set you apart for a special purpose, for a, for a special reason, the mercy of sanctification. That's what he talks about in chapter 6 and 7. In chapter 8, he talks about the mercy of glorification. Now, if it weren't enough that God saved us, if it weren't enough by his mercy that he took our sins and wiped them out, if it's not enough that he took us and he, he sanctified us, he set us apart for himself, he talks finally about the mercy of glorification. We have the promise that one of these days our battle is going to be over. The fight is going to be over. We're going to spend eternity in heaven forever. We're going to be given a glorified body and we'll spend eternity in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, walking the streets of gold. And Paul says, therefore, based upon all these things, this is why you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because Jesus died for us, we should live for him. Because Jesus gave his life for us, we should give our life for him. Because Jesus died as a sacrifice for us, we should live as a sacrifice for him. That is the motive of our sacrifice. But something else I want you to notice. Now we want to look particularly at the phrase, the living sacrifice. Not only do I want you to see the motive of our sacrifice, but number two, the meaning of our sacrifice. The meaning of our sacrifice. Paul says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now those two words, when you put them together, that's what we call an oxymoron. That's where you get two words together that make no sense when you put them together. Two words that are mutually contradictory. I, I, I'm interested with the little story that I heard about, about the pig that went to the, or the, uh, the chicken that went to the pig and said, hey, we need to start a restaurant. We're, we're pretty talented. We need to start a restaurant. And the pig thought about it for a while and said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. What are we going to serve in this restaurant? Chicken thought for a while and he said, well, let's serve ham and eggs. And the, uh, the pig thought about it for a minute and said, well, hey, wait a minute. That's easy for you to say. You're just giving a token commitment and you're asking a total sacrifice on my part. But you know what? In essence, that's pretty much what God's asking for here, a living sacrifice. You might put it down, you might even write in your margin, sacrificial living. And that's exactly what the Lord demands of us. He says, when, you, know, you know, when you sacrifice something, you give up possession of that thing. When you sacrifice something, you give up ownership. When you read and study the Old Testament, you never find the priest going to give a sacrifice and they give part of a lamb. They never sacrifice part of a lamb. They sacrifice the whole lamb. And it was always a total sacrifice with no strings attached. I think there's about two things. I think there's two things involved in this living sacrifice. Number one... I believe it involves a death to self. It involves a death to self. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, you know, that's something that we don't like to think about very often, is it? We don't like to think about taking up our cross. We don't like to think about denying ourselves. But what did Jesus mean when he was talking about it? Most, most Christians, they had, a lot of people, they have no idea what Jesus even meant. When he said, take up your cross. Talk to people and they have it in their mind that maybe a rowdy next door neighbor, that's their cross to bear. I've had people think about their mother-in-law, might be their cross to bear. Might be pretty close, I don't know about your situation. Not my situation. You might think that, uh, I've heard those that said that an argumentative spouse is their cross to bear. Think of the husband and wife that got into an argument. And the uh, husband, they were in the heat of the argument, and the husband looked at his wife, and he says, I just don't understand 
how anything so beautiful could be so stupid. And his wife looked at him and she said, Well, God made me beautiful so that you would marry me. He made me stupid so that I would marry you. <laughs> well, that's not exactly what Jesus had in mind when he talked about us taking up our cross. You see, the cross is a place of death. The cross is a place, and what Jesus is saying is, is we must put our desires, my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, put all of these things, everything that I want on life, put that on a cross and die to that. It involves a death to self. But not only does it involve a death to self, but secondly, it involves a life to service. You see, when we take everything that we have and everything, all our goals, all our aspirations and dreams, and we die to those things, we place those things on the cross, and they're dead now. I have no dreams, no goals of my own. Now I live to do nothing but to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the song that we sing so many times, I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. It involves a death to self and it involves a life to service. That's the meaning of our sacrifice. But there's a third thing that I want you to notice. Not only the motive for our sacrifice, the meaning of our sacrifice, but thirdly, I want you to see the manner of our sacrifice. Now this is very, very important. Paul says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is how? Holy and acceptable unto God. Now, you see, when we come to God with a sacrifice, I tell you what, that sacrifice better be clean. That sacrifice had better be clean. God will not accept an unclean sacrifice. For example, say in about four months, middle of July, you're out mowing your yard, it's 104 degrees, and you get about halfway done, you just can't go any longer. You can't go any further. You've got to have something to drink. You walk into your house, you go into your kitchen, and there are two glasses sitting there on the counter. The sun's shining in through the window. One glass you look at, and the sun's just shining through that glass. It's as clear as it could be. Not a spot on that glass. And it's, it's obviously just as clean as it possibly could be. But the other glass, well, it's kind of got a film on it, you know. And you can, you can see as the sun shines through it, it's got spots on it. And you, you look down inside that glass, it's got some kind of a... Which one are you going to choose? You say, well, Brian, that's pretty obvious. It's a pretty stupid question. Obviously, I'm going to pick the clean glass. Well, let me give you something else that is also very, very obvious. God, just like you will not pour something into a dirty glass to drink out of it, God will not pour His Spirit into a dirty vessel. And Paul says that your sacrifice that you bring unto God better be holy and it better be acceptable unto God. You can, bring to, you can bring to God, you can come to God all you want saying, God, I want to give you myself, I want to sacrifice myself, but if you're bringing to God a sacrifice that is full of sin and selfishness, God will not accept that sacrifice. I think of the illustration in the, in the book of Genesis. Remember Cain and Abel? God demanded a sacrifice. Abel comes, to the, comes before the Lord, has the sacrifice that God is pleased with, has the sacrifice that God asked for, and God was well pleased with Abel's sacrifice. On the other hand, Cain... He comes to the Lord to make a sacrifice as well, but he pays no mind to what God had said. He pays no attention to the kind of sacrifice that God told him to bring. He brought what he felt he should bring. And what does the Bible say? God did not. He refused Cain's sacrifice, and he had no respect for Cain. You know, a lot of us, and I've met a lot of people, you know, we want our cake and we want to eat it too, don't we? We want to live in the world... We want to do the things of the world. We want to be involved in all the things that we like on Monday through Saturday. We want to be involved with all of these things, all the pleasure that may be out there. All the, we want to be involved with all that. But on the other hand, we want to enjoy all the blessings and we want to enjoy all the bounty 
of being in the will of God. We say we want to be in the will of God, but we want to be. So we want our cake and we want to eat it too. We want to, we want to experience both of these things. Most of many of us were kind of like a wife that I read about. That uh, she was talking to the doctor about her husband. Her husband was very very sick, and the doctor said, "Ma'am, I, I don't know how to tell you this, and I'm very very sorry, but." Your husband, I, don't, I fear, is not going to make it any more than two or three months. Well, of course, like, obviously, anyway, she just, it just broke her down. She said, Doc, you, you're kidding me, right? There's got to be something that we can do. There's got, Doc, there's got to be something that I can do. Doctor, is there anything that I could do to help the life of my husband? And the doctor said, said, well, actually, and he said, no, no, no. She said, no, 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 tell me, tell me, I'll do anything, Doc. Doc said, well, all right, your husband has a, uh, has a particular situation, uh, problem with his stomach, and he's got to eat a lot. And she says, now, ma'am, what you're going to have to do every morning, you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to make your husband a full breakfast. I'm talking about bacon, eggs, homemade biscuits, gravy, the works. You're going to have to do that every single morning. And that's not all, though. At lunchtime, you're going to have to fix him a full-course meal. I don't mean just sandwiches and chips. You're going to have to fix him meat, potatoes, uh, a full lunch. And then at dinner, same thing. You're going to have to bake cakes, pies, uh, bread, full course meal every day, three times a day. You've got to do that now. And he, he might make it a little while. And he, he said, well, and that's not all, though. See, your husband has, this, has a respiratory problem, too. And so what you're going to have to do is you're not, on top of all the cooking you're going to have to do, you're going to have to clean your house spotless every day. You're going to have to get up. You're going to have to mop the floors, sweep the floors, dust the tables. You're going to have to vacuum the floors. You're going to have to do everything. You're going to have to make your house immaculate every single day. And he said, now, ma'am, if you'll do that, I, I have it in my mind that I think your husband might just have a full and long life, may live just as long as you do. She thought about that for a while, and she went into her husband. The husband knew nothing about this. He knew the situation was bad. He, the wife walked in the door, and he said, he said honey, just, just give it to me straight. I prepared myself. What did the doctor say? She looked at him with a tear streaming down her cheeks. She said, honey, you're going to die. <laughs> you see, so many of us are just like that wife. We say, God, I want your will. God, I want to be in your will. I want to enjoy the pleasures. I want to have the joy and, and the fulfillment in life knowing that I'm in your will. We say that, but Paul right here says, this is how you do it. This is how you come to know the will of God. This is how you find God's will for your life. It involves a personal, a, per, a personal presentation must be given. But I hurry on to the second thing. Not only see that a personal presentation must be given, but secondly, a powerful separation should be gained. A powerful separation should be gained. Look at verse number 2. Paul says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, when I read that, two words right away just jump right out, leap right off the page at me. It's the word, two words, one of them is conformed, the other one is transformed. For every negative, there's a positive. Let's, first of all, let's look at the negative. We see the negative, the word conformed. Conformed comes from the root word that gives us our word scheme. And what Paul is literally saying is, he's saying, don't let the world fool you or force you into its schemes. I like how one commentator put it. He said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. In other words, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. Now, you know what a chameleon is, don't you? You, you know what a chameleon is. A chameleon is an animal that changes colors with its surroundings. It takes on the color of, of literally whatever is around it. In other words, it conforms. It conforms to the color 
of whatever is around it. Well, can I be honest with you this morning? One of the hindrances to the unsaved coming to church and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is spiritual chameleons. Now, Brian, what are you talking about, a spiritual chameleon? Well, nobody in this church. <laughs> but they're in churches everywhere. Now, I don't know if there are in this church. I'm not thinking anybody in particular, but all over the United States, there are spiritual chameleons sitting in church right now. A spiritual chameleon is, is the person who comes to church, and while they're in church, they put on the color of sanctity and holiness and righteousness. They sing from the hymnal, they bow their heads to pray, they drop a few dollars in the offering plate, and they glad hand everybody as they walk out the door. They put on, while they're in the church, the color of sanctity, holiness, and righteousness. But when they leave the church, all of a sudden they lose that color of sanctity, uh, 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 sanctity and holiness and, and righteousness. They lose that color and all of a sudden they take on the color of carnality and worldliness. See, they, they, they go to the company party and they drink alcohol just like everybody else because everybody else is doing it. They, uh, uh, they go to the office and they tell the dirty jokes. They laugh at the dirty jokes because everybody else is doing it too. That's a spiritual communion. In other words, they have let the world squeeze them into their mold. May I say a word to all of us who claim to love the Lord Jesus Christ? God is looking for a person. God is looking for a people who will live on Monday the way they say they believe on Sunday. I want to say that again. God is looking for a people. All over this auditorium, all in the balcony, in the choir, God is looking for a people who will live on Monday the way they say they believe on Sunday. We see the negative, conform. Don't be conformed to this world. But the other word, we see the positive. The positive is transform. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, a transformation, transformed... It has, carries with the idea a change on the outside that comes from the inside. Someone once said that God forms us, sin deforms us, school informs us, but only the Lord Jesus Christ can transform us. Well, how do you transform? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I've quoted my life verse many, many times from this pulpit, but this is how I do it. This is the best way that I know of to transform, uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That means we talk about it. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You talk about it. Talk about the Word of God. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Not only do you talk about it, you think about it. The Word of God's on your mind. That's what you think about throughout the day. You talk about it. You think about it. Joshua 1.8 goes on, That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Not only do you talk about it, not only do you think about it, you obey it. You obey the Word of God, and then He gives the result. When you talk about it, when you think about the Word of God, you talk about the Word of God, and you obey the Word of God, He says, For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's how you transform yourself, by the renewing of your mind. It is a powerful separation should be gained. Not, not uh, conforming, but transformed. Being transformed by the renewing, of your mind. There's a third thing, and this is where we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to the will of God. It involves a personal presentation must be given. Number two, a powerful separation should be gained. But thirdly, and finally, a purposeful revelation will be granted. A purposeful revelation will be granted. You see, 
after the presentation of our lives and after the transformation and the renewing of our minds, this is where you get to the place where Paul says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Now Paul tells us right here three reasons. He tells us what it is about the will of God that should make us desire it, that makes us want it to begin with. He tells us three things. He says the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. I would say for number one, God's will is profitable. God's will is profitable. God's will is not something for you to fear, to be afraid of. It's the best thing that will ever happen to your life. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, the best thing you'll ever find is God's will. The best place you will ever be is right in the center of the will of God. Why? Because it is profitable. Not only is it profitable, but secondly, God's will is pleasing. God's will is pleasing. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that the place where you will find the most happiness, the most peace, and the most joy is right in the center of God's will. Why? Because it is pleasing. I think of something that uh, David Livingston, one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived, served God all of his life, and toward the end of his life, this is a statement that he made. He said, I would rather be in the heart of Africa, in the will of God, than to be on the throne of England, out of the will of God. Why did he say that? Because God's will is profitable. God's will is pleasing. And Paul goes on to say, not only is it profitable and pleasing, but God's will is perfect. It's perfect. You know how much God loves you? You know how much God loves you this morning? He loves you so much. God doesn't want what's just good for you. In fact, He loves you so much, He doesn't even want what's, what's, be what's better for you. God loves you so much, He wants what is best for your life and what is perfect for your life. And Paul says God's will is perfect. That's perfection. Now, the last time I checked, it just doesn't get any better than perfection, does it? Paul says God's will is profitable, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. I want to close with this story. I'm going to read it to you. I read it just the other day. I want to read to you a story, and then we'll have a word of prayer and a time of invitation. But I thought it was very, very interesting. I read about a young officer who had made his trip on a, destroy, on a, on a destroyer across the ocean. He had state-of-the-art training. He had brilliant credentials, and it was his assignment to take the destroyer out of the harbor and bring it back to the United States. It was his first assignment. It was his first task for the young officer, and he wanted to do it perfectly. He was extremely bright, he was very forceful, and he was a strong leader. And in a moment, the deck was just buzzing with action. He was barking commands here and there like a veteran. And everything was moving with the harmony of a Swiss clock. The destroyer made its way out of the harbor flawlessly, even though it was very meticulous and a very treacherous matter. They were on their way in record time when somebody came to that young officer and said, you have a message from the captain. Well, he thought that was kind of strange because it was a, a radio message. But he read the message, and this is what the captain said. He said, young man, you have done an excellent job. You have done it with great speed and with dispatch according to the book. But young man, there's a, an unwritten rule that you have overlooked. The next time you leave harbor... Make certain the captain's on board. <laughs> See, what this boy had done in his zeal, went off to carry out his task and left the captain on the, sh on the shore. Now listen, it matters not how wise you are, it matters not how educated you are, how smart you are, how capable you are, or even how talented you are. 
Don't leave the harbor of life without the captain on board. Don't leave the harbor without the captain on board. Don't leave home without the will of God. The will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. I hope you know the will of God for your life. Ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Let's stand to our feet, please. As musicians get in place, and we're going to sing a song of invitation. But as they get in place, I want to ask you, I want to ask a question. And I'm not appealing to your pride, and I think you'll understand why, why I'm asking this question. But if you're here this morning and you could say, say, Brother Brian, to the best of my knowledge, not to be prideful, not to appeal, not so everybody could see, but Brian, to the best of my knowledge, as far as I know, I, I believe I am in the center of God's will. As far as I know, I believe I, I, I seek the Lord, I ask Him for His will. I, I, as far as I know, Brother Brian, I am in the center of God's will. I make mistakes, yes, but... I. I as far as I know, I'm in the center of his will. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Many, many hands across the room. Okay, you can put your hand down. Well, there was also many, many hands that were not raised. And I anticipated that. I kind of ex expected that. The will of God is something, it is a great quest seemingly of the Christian life is to find God's will for your life. Let me... If you did not raise your hand, there's, I think there's probably about one of two reasons why <clears throat> you couldn't raise your hand. One reason possibly could be this. You, you know the will of God for your life. You, perhaps you, you, you were in it at one time, but, but now you are not. Now you have drifted away from the Lord. Now you, you know that, right, Brian, as I stand right here before you, I know I'm, I'm really, I'm not in the center of God's will. If that's you this morning, I want to make the invitation to you to come down to this old-fashioned altar and get that right. 1 John 1, 9, if we can confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brother Ken just last week preached on our God as the God of a second chance. If you were in the center of God's will one time, you were doing God's will faithful to God at one time, but you've fallen away, listen, we serve a God that is the God of a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. I don't care how many times you've blown it. If you will come down here and you will make things right today, God will have you back. God will. Well, he wants you to be in the center of his will. He wants you to be in perfect harmony and relation, in a relationship with him. That's one reason why you maybe possibly could not raise your hand. You, you've been in the will of God. You know what it is, but you're just simply not doing it. The other reason possibly could be this. It very well could be that you've just never really thought about it. You've been saved for a time, maybe a few months, a few years, maybe 20 years, and you've just, you know, you never really thought about God has a will for my life. If that's you here this morning, I make an invitation to you. I would invite you to come down to this altar and just make the presentation of your life. Like Paul said, like we talked about just a moment ago. Make the presentation. Say, God, I laid myself right down on this altar before you, and God, I want what you want for my life. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to spend my life doing what you called me to do. There's some of you in this room that God has called you into the full-time ministry. There's some of you that got that you, some, maybe some teenager, some young person that you feel God called you into the ministry, God calling you into the mission field, or, or God calling you into Christian education. Accept it. I invite each and every one of you to, go, to accept whatever God's dealing with your heart, whatever the situation is in your heart. Be faithful to the Lord. Be obedient to the Lord. Don't walk out of this place 
the same way you walked in. I thank God for everybody that raised their hand and said, Brian, to the best of my knowledge, I am in the center of his will. And I make one final appeal. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, you've never trusted him, you've never uh, placed your faith in him as your Lord and Savior, let me say to you this morning, he loves you more than you'll ever even begin to understand. And he wants to save you today. He wants to take, like we talked about a moment ago, take your sins and justify you. Just as if you had never sinned. Take your sins, cast them as far as the east is from the west. And he wants to give you the mercy, the, the, the promise of glorification, a home in heaven one of these days. If that's you, if you don't know the Lord, come this morning. Come down here and we'll have somebody take the word of God and show you how you can know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I ask Brother Rick, if he would, to lead us in a song. However the Lord has spoken to your heart, whatever the Lord's saying to you, be obedient to him. Make your way down to this altar and you do business with the Lord today. Brother Rick. <laughs>